This is episode 68 of the Next Year Now podcast. Hi, I'm Anise Kavanaugh, creator of the IEP method and author of Contagious Culture. If you want to learn how you can show up more effectively and invitationally in your life and at work, then you'll want to start listening to the Next Year Now podcast with my friend Tom Hefner. Have fun. We have an abundance of opportunity. The biggest problem now is figuring out where you want to start. You might as well choose something that you love doing and will it make you happy. Welcome to the Next Year Now podcast with Tom Hefner. Tom believes that if you really want to thrive at work and in life, then every day, purposeful habits and practices are vital. The Next Year Now podcast will not only help you identify and integrate these habits into your daily life, but also bring you key insights and lessons from some of the most successful people in their fields. And here is your host, Tom Hefner. Hello and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you thrive at work and in life. The topic of habits and practices is always front and center in our discussion, but we also explore how we use these habits and practices to improve our personal development, productivity, creativity, health and well-being, business and entrepreneurship. Today we're speaking with Phil Newton, creator of Unhustled, where he helps other people work less and earn more. If you've ever felt like life has started to overwhelm you, then you don't want to miss this episode because in our conversation, we'll be discussing the key to working a lot less so that you can become unhustled each and every day of work. How long you should focus on the one thing that will help you take your business to the next level. The best approach for niching down to maximizing your profit and revenue. Book recommendations to help you build your business through better mindsets and so much more. If you want to become unhustled in life, working less and earning more, then you need to learn the right tools and methods for the job. And one way is to learn the tools of innovation. That's where today's sponsor comes into play. That's because Tom Hefner Enterprises Innovation Training is sponsoring this week's podcast. What makes Tom Hefner's Innovation Training so effective is that I teach you concrete methods to accelerate your ability to make decisions, accelerate your ability to collaborate, and accelerate, ultimately, your ability to come up with new ideas, products, services. These are the keys to working less and earning more in your work. If you want to learn more, then just head on over to tomhefner.com slash work. You can read all about the innovation training and consulting work I do over there. But please, don't take my word for it. Check out my testimonials and clients list. I work with leading companies like Accenture, Porsche Car, and Starbucks, to name just a few. Unhustle, the art of doing less while earning more. That's Phil Newton's mission. He wants to introduce a better way of doing things rather than just grinding all day, every day. And I think that's something that all of us can relate to. I know it's something that I relate to from my time working in a nine to five job every day. Phil, he went from one extreme to another. He used to work 14 hour days, made himself sick and feared a relapse of his Crohn's disease just to find the next client. 
Currently, he works under an hour per day. You heard that right. I'm not kidding. Under an hour per day with a predictable process to find, filter, and sort clients, delivering a world-class experience. And now he's teaching others how to unhustle and work smarter. Phil, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, well, thank you for having me here. It's uh, it's already been a pleasure, as we discussed. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. We, we, so some pre some pre gaming. <laughs> well, well session. <laughs> That's right. The warm up session. You know, Phil, I think you have one of the most intriguing elevator pitches I've ever come across: the art of doing less while earning more. I've read that you work under an hour a day, but you still find time to to deliver you know, world-class performance, value for your clients, and, and more importantly for me and for, and for the rest of us, to earn a living. So yes. I, I got to ask, man, like how the hell do you do that? Well, I'd f- firstly, I just want to differentiate the primary business because we've got multiple businesses, but the primary business, it takes me about 20 minutes to do it. It means that I can do something once, but I can sell it multiple times. The primary thing there is essentially a newsletter. Uh, it's in financial trading uh, just for reference. So I'm able to leverage something that I'm already doing because I'm trading markets. And then I can teach people how to do it as I'm doing it. So there's no extra time involved because I just talk through what I'm doing as I'm doing it. And then I can write that up. And that takes between 20 and 60 minutes. Okay. And is that something that uh, you monetize the, the newsletter? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when I say that takes 2066 to, to do it, to deliver it, to um, to promote and market it because it's, it's kind of all set up. So it's a, don't get me wrong. It took a while to get there. It didn't happen overnight, <laughs> but it happens. But replicating the same thing here for the Unhustle brand, it's the same thing. And I've got to admit, it takes a little bit longer, maybe up to about 90 minutes to do, to have conversations like these, to talk to clients and, you know, to deliver a world-class experience. It's just trying to figure out what is the one thing that, that really is the secret. What is the one thing, the, the biggest paying result that you can deliver for your highest paying clients? Go and do that. And that's it. You do not need to be tweeting 10,000 times a day or creating <laughs> a thousand pieces of content like certain uh, celebrity entrepreneurs like to spout. Don't get me wrong. That works. It doesn't work for me. <laughs> I would rather not be tweeting 10,000 times a day. <laughs> Fair enough. You said the one thing, and, and you, and you kind of emphasized that. I had Jeff Woods on the podcast relatively recently. He, he of the One Thing podcast from the from the One Thing book by Gary Keller. So I can stop writing that book, can I? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah. So bad news, Phil. <laughs> somebody beat me to it. Somebody beat, to it. <laughs> somebody's, uh, no, somebody's beat you to it. It's an interesting premise. If you could just do one thing for the rest of your life, nothing else, and you didn't get paid until you delivered a world-class results, with that kind of restriction – it kind of puts a, you've got to kind of sit back and think, okay, what would be the one thing that pays me the most, that gives me the most satisfaction? And when you have that restriction, it's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to stack shells in Walmart for that. <laughs> <I'm really not laughs> you know, when you have those restrictions and it really makes you sit down and think, it's like, well, what's the one thing that makes me jump out of bed in the morning? And who would I do that for? And when you figure that out, and don't be wrong, it's not an overnight you're not going to think of that straight away. For some people, you might know that straight away. But for other people, a little bit of thinking is involved. And that is kind of scary for a lot of people. They've got to think about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got it. Then that's the, the pivotal moment. That means that you can stop doing everything else that doesn't support doing that thing. And that, for me, is how I did it. 
I took a, an exclusionary process to be, to get myself unhustled. It was what do I don't like doing? What don't I want to do? Who don't I want to work with? Because I had the philosophy, like most people, when I started out, and I, I'm very fortunate I was quite successful when I started out back in 2001. It was not a space odyssey, I'll tell you, but it was in 2001. <laughs> it was pilot high, sell it cheap. And that created some problems. <laughs> well, uh, uh, how so? What, what, what were some of the problems that you had with that? It, it, it was reasonably successful, high demand, but low paying. So I've got low money, high clients, high touch points, and... For what I've noticed over the years looking back on it is the lower that someone pays, the more inclined they are to complain. And that, you know, or they've got issues or they want their hand on. And it, it, it sounds weird to say it in that way, but that was, I created my own job because of it. And that's what I wanted to move away from. Mm-hmm. So the easiest thing for me to do is, okay, I'm working with a lot of people that are not my ideal clients. It's the polite way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the unpolite way of saying it? No, I'm so, so how can we exclude them from that circle? I mean, just because they're not my ideal clients, I wasn't. A, I wasn't a, 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 a weird about it. It's like, okay, they're not my type of people. Go and find who their type of person that can help them is. So find them a place to go first. But put your prices up. Prevent them from coming in. That's the easiest thing to do. To start doing. So that that's when I realised that. Hold on, these people and not now coming through the front door because now price is a factor. So they were basically value shopping, you know, the lowest price is going to win and they expect the most for the least. And it, it's just a weird type of mindset that I've noticed. So the easiest thing you can do to free up your time and earn more money is put your prices up and it excludes all those people that uh, you could lose anywhere from 30 to 50% of your clients. But if you double or triple or quadruple your prices, if you're generally the expert, you can charge a premium. Mm-hmm. That will exclude your... And maybe even cull a large number of your existing clients. But if you can find somewhere else for them to go, you can maybe have some uh, remuneration package arranged for, you know, whoever you want to partner up with. But you're going to be working with a core group of people who really value what you've got and are prepared to pay for it. And that frees up your time. And that process for me happened over a period of many years. I kept doing that so that, you know, it might be that you work with one client a year and you get paid 100 grand. That's for most people. That is a fantastic situation. But that's where you can end up being. When you start to just think, what what's going to give me the biggest results for my best person? When you have that restriction, it, magic for me, that, certainly magic happens. Well, there's also a psychological piece to it on the other side. I noticed this when when we would hire consultants in our organization where you would pay, like you'd hire BCG, right? Like a big uh, Boston consulting group. And they'd come in, you'd, you'd give them a half million dollars. Uh, I say we, but uh, it's really our leadership executive. It's like leadership. the royal we. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, royal we, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the royal we. Um, the executive leadership team gives them, you know, half a million dollars or something. And there is an element of like, when you pay somebody that kind of money, you're definitely disinclined to complain because if nothing else, you're like, well, you know what? Like, we just paid a lot of money for this. So like, we're going to get as much out of this as we can. Exactly. Yeah. You want to. Yes. But so that then creates the the kind of the opposite, because you think the people who are paying the most are going to be not necessarily the most resistant, but they're going to be the most problematic. But the reality is the opposite is true. No, no, you're right. You just explained. It's like, okay, they're sat there. They're attentive. They're waiting to be almost led in a way. Mm -hmm. You're the experts. Tell us what to do. Here's the program. Here's the plan. Here's the you know, when you've worked out the, the specifics, it's right. You go, go and do this, go and do that. And it very is much so, okay, you've completely invested both not physically, monetary wise, but emotionally in doing the thing that you've been tasked to do. 
because you, as you just said, you want to get the most out of it. So when you start charging a premium, whether it's a, a small price and you're a solo guy charging a few thousand, uh, you know, or at the corporate level, you know, it could be a few hundred thousand or even a few million to get the thing done. You generally pay attention in like in a very attentive, positive way. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to something you said earlier about the the one thing and, and people trying to figure out what that one thing is. One observation that I've had working with other entrepreneurs and people kind of in the same boat as us is that they hear this a lot, right? Like there, there's a lot of books. There's the one thing. There's Essentialism by Greg McEwen. There's, mm-hmm. Everybody's kind of like preaching this, but practically what I've seen happen is people – you know, either it's a little bit of ADD or they, they start to work on one thing, but that one thing is not a domino that they can kind of set up and easily or reasonably knock down. And after maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe it's a, a month or two months, they lose steam because they're not seeing progress. And then that one thing is like, well, what about this one thing over here? And then they do that for a week, two weeks, a month. And then they're like, well, I'm not getting much progress. But what about this one thing over there? And then they, it's just almost like this rabbit hole of endless, you know, one things. Shiny object syndrome. Yeah, shiny object <laughs> syndrome. So what can we do if we're in that boat? How can we mitigate that or... Well, firstly, I get the big stick out of the closets and I stand over them and repeatedly hit them with it <laughs> <laughs> until I beat it out. No, seriously, it's difficult because you will want immediate results. But what I realized is the more that you try and oh, shiny object, shiny object, you, know, you can end up trying to push the, the, the big red button for solutions multiple times at the same time or one after the other because you're not seeing that immediate results. And I suppose it's almost like, again, cliche, it's like the hare and the tortoise, the slow, you know, if you just focus on that one thing until you've got one result, I think set yourself a time objective would or bolt that on. You give yourself three months. I'm going to do this thing, one thing for three months. And if I then don't see results, it's either not for me or I'm doing it wrong and to reevaluate. And if you're working with a consultant, then that's when you'd go back to them and say, hey, look, I've done this thing as you laid out step by step. I'm either doing it wrong or it doesn't work. And then that's when you can reevaluate. But at least you can turn around and say, look, I've given this a good crack of the whip. I've given it three months. And I've, it's not even, not necessarily producing results, but it's not, it's just not doing anything for me. It's just, it, 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 it just doesn't integrate into your business, your way of doing things. Because not everything's going to work perfectly for everyone all of the time. So some of it is, like you just said, it's it's finding the right thing for the right person at the right time. And again, just bolt on that. I'm going to give it three months. Then I then that gives you permission to then go and push the the next big shiny button to you know, <laughs> go and look at the next thing. Okay, I've tried this. It didn't quite work the way I was expecting or the way I was told. Let's go and do something else. And some of it for for some people will be trial and error. And that's just the nature of what we do is trying to figure out will this integrate. But I think before that, to prevent that trial and error situation is you do need to research. You do need to think. Coming back to the, the, the one thing type of mentality. When you try to figure out, okay, well, what is the one thing that's going to move the needle? What's the the one thing that I'm going to try for for the the next three, six, or maybe twelve months? You know, you're going to do that one thing and genuinely commit to it for that period of time. Before you get there, you really need to get granular and think about where are my best clients? What's going to be the best results? What is, 
you know, there's there's a, a series of questions that you should be investigating before you go and do whatever you decide that one thing is, the tactical side of it. You know, strategically, you've got to give some serious thought to it. Mm-hmm. I think where most people fail is they give a, a quick answer to the the one thing for one person type of solution and then go and do it and spend doing spend three months doing something that wasn't a right fit because they didn't investigate what is my what who is my best client and what is the the the, the biggest you know monetary producer for the for the business and they've not really given that any serious thought whatsoever and then that means that they can't have that domino effect that you were talking about that because they've not themselves set themselves up for success in the first place does, does that kind of make sense yeah it does and something you said there just kind of brighten my mind there for something, but which is you talked about kind of figuring out, you know, your, who are your clients? And, and, and so something closely related to that, I think of what you're talking about with the one thing is this idea of like niching down, right? Because if you're oh, very much so, yeah, I'm big, big advocates. Well, so I had a guest uh, on, on my show once. Uh, I'll never forget this quote. He's like, Tom, the riches are in the niches. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you need to niche down. So like, if that's true, then like, how do we go about niching down? Firstly, I think there's two ways of doing it. You can niche down by uh, from the top down, or you can come from the bottom. You can figure out who your best client is, or you can exclude your worst clients. That's what I mean by there's two ways of doing it. So figure out who's the who's your number one client, who's the biggest producer. Or if you've got a book of clients already, who are the top ten clients giving you the, the the top ten results? You know, from a monetary point of view, who who are those the creme de la creme, the cream of the crop? And then you can model those people. You know, it might be Bob's your best client. He's 42 years old. He's a business owner. He's, you know, and you start thinking about the psychographics and the demographics. But I think go a level deeper. Think about actionographics. Think about how do they behave? You know, what are their problems? You know, and just go that level deeper. So that's one way of doing it. The other way is to think if you're not quite sure who your best client is because you've got several, because most people have several potential client avatars and they've not yet managed to separate their different people in their little universe of people that they like to work with so a way of getting to the same objective is to figure out who don't you want to work with which is the route that i took initially it's like okay i don't like working with these people what barrier can i put in their place what system can i put what questions can i ask to identify those people and don't let them in like the the red velvet rope policy around a nightclub if your name's not down you're not coming in you know and that's what we want so they're, they're the two ways of doing it a visualization exercise to try and get to kind of help you understand this this one thing the one person that the who's your best um person and, and what do you do is if you if you were had something that could save someone's life genuinely help someone improve their life their well-being maybe even save their life but you had to write them a letter to let them know about it most people think niching down is putting dear bob who lives on planet earth and then they go and pop that letter in the in the post box and expect the postal service to deliver the letter and most people think that that's niching down and you and i both know that if that was to happen that letter is is not going to arrive never going to make it dear, dear santa greenland <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they've done you know that's that's what most people do so niching down it's like it's trying to figure out the, the full name the full address where they live, the street address. And if we think about it like a universe, you know, we're in this universe of your business operates in this universe. Like I I work with coaches, consultants, entrepreneurs. That's my universe. And someone else's universe might be manufacturing engineering. So we're all in this universe of how do I figure out which planet Bob's on? Okay, Bob's on planet Earth. Great. He's a coach. Consultants are on a different planet, Neptune, whatever. But you start to segregate 
like that one person. And then you can start to, well, what type of coach is Bob? Well, Bob coaches these people. And then you start to think, so now you, you start to figure out his name, his planet, the address, the postcode, the zip code, the street address. Maybe you can get as detailed as possible that you can figure out that Bob likes sitting at his kitchen table, reading a book, drinking fancy coffee. You know, if that's your profile, the psychographics, the demographics and the what I refer to as the actionographics, the how they behave, you know, what they, what's keeping them up at night. You know, all of Bob's problems, when you can figure that out, suddenly when you go to write a letter to Bob, you can go, dear Bob, I was thinking about you last night and I noticed that you had this problem. And, and then you can write a nice little letter as if you're writing a, a a dear diary memoir type thing to a long lost friend because you know that person and his problems so well that you can write them a letter and i really think that this solution insert solution would help your problem insert problem and that then becomes an easy conversation to have and then you can write the letter the name address postcode pop it in the post box and that letter is going to get delivered that would save our hypothetical bob's life that for me is niching down and again, I appreciate from a time point of view, I've had to kind of gloss over it, but hopefully that just enables you to visualize what I consider niching down to be. Don't stop at dear Bob who lives on planet Earth. Get to know Bob, get to know his family, get to know his problems, figure all these things out. And there's lots of free online support that helps you figure out what's known as a, a client's avatar or a profile or there's lots of different ways of saying the same thing, but when you know that person at an intimate level and you know Bob better than he knows himself, again, I call my client avatar Bob or Bob Et if they're ladies. Um, <laughs> it, I'd just like to give them a name, <laughs> whimsical as it may be. <laughs> but it just helps people understand that that's the level of detail that we want because now you can go and have a conversation with that person. And it's an easy conversation to have rather than, hey, Bob, have you got a, you know, you, you, you're trying to, bump into random strangers in the street if it's bob who lives on planet earth hey bob are you are you interested in blue widgets no okay hey john are you interested in blue widgets you know it's a difficult conversation to have when you don't know who you should speak to in the first place but when you do you can go and sit down and join them for breakfast and have a coffee with them and you know them so well it's easier not easy but easier significantly easier to have that conversation that would then bring them into so then you can start to figure out okay well what's that one thing that i'm going to do for three months that's going to help me find more bobs or bobettes or whoever your perfect client is that's the kind of the bit before you figure out what you're going to do for three months that is setting yourself up for success and then it's easier to put them through the production line of, uh, you know, getting them into your universe so that mm -hmm. you can deliver world-class results. I kind of zoned out there, Tom. No, no, it, it was good. I'm quite passionate about this, just making sure that people understand because it's not sexy, it's not shiny, it's not tactical, it doesn't involve Facebook ads, which is currently the hot thing. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? It, it's not sexy, but it's probably one of the most important things that you can do to set yourself up for success is just exclude all the people that are not going to help you on your mission to whatever your speciality is. No, I love that. That's probably, and one of the reasons why I was just, I was letting you go, man. Like I, I think that was one of the best descriptions uh, and analogies of niching down that I've heard. So I really love that. And it started making me thinking about some of my own, people that I serve. And, and one of the things that I've seen a lot with uh, some of my listeners is people who, who give, who give, who give, right? Mm. And one of my, my, my former uh, guests on the show and friend, Adam Grant, he's the host of a Work Life podcast. He once said that like to be successful, 
You need to be a giver and not this unbalanced giver, but you need to give and take, give and take. And so yeah, I'm kind of wondering as I think about the people that I serve, the the niching down into into my audience, what is it about giving so much and helping other people so much that is bad or that makes you look kind of silly at times? I think there's a difference between perceived value and value or I suppose it's the difference between telling them what to do and either then doing it for them or telling them how to do it. Because I think it's easy to give value and to to do the the give, give, give to demonstrate your worth to someone. Because you've got to do that. Because if you bumped into a stranger and you say, hey, buy my blue widgets, um, they're not going to do it. You've not demonstrated any value. So you've got to give something first so that they can say, oh, actually, yeah, I think I I like the blue widget that Phil's got versus the blue widget that Tom's got. We might do very similar things, but I like the way that Phil does it, Mm -hmm. you know. And on a different day, it might be, I like the way Tom does it, you know. We're in similar circles, but that's the the value that we might offer. So it's easy to demonstrate that giving nature, that value aspect by demonstrating it. So you can tell people what to do. Here's a good idea of what you should do. A, B, Z, step one, step two, step three. That's what you that's what you can do. And you will see success if you follow that little roadmap. But you've not done it for them Mm. and you've not told them how to do it from a point of view of click here, press that, do this, you know, the the very detailed strategy guide, if you like. Mm -hmm. So if you can draw that distinction and tell people what to do, and for most of my career, I I can give away about 80% of what I do because you're telling them what to do at a very kind of high level or strategic level. But I'm not telling them tactically how to go and deploy that plan. That's where you're the expert. That's where you come into the fray of saying, okay, well, if you want my expertise to hold you by the hand and walk you through it step by step, then you're going to pay me very handsomely because I'm the expert because I figured it out. You know what to do. I've not held anything back. There's no secrets there. You can literally go and do it yourself. But if you want me to help you, draw that distinction. If you want me to show you how to do it step by step or even uh, do it for you, depending on what your speciality is, then that's where you pay me as the expert. And if you draw that distinction then it's very easy to have conversations with meaningful conversations with lots of people to add value, to give, to demonstrate your worth. And at the end of that conversation, you know, it's not saying it's sales pitch. I just want to draw that distinction. You're having a conversation with someone because until you have a conversation, you're never going to know if you can actually help them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think I've had a sales conversation in a long time. It's like just two people talking and we see if we can help each other. We give that value, we demonstrate it. And at the end of it, you're going to say something along the lines of, do you want me to help you with it? And they're either going to say yes or no. And that for me is is sales. I know we can do all the fancy closes and the NLP stuff and all the the roo-roo-rah-rah stuff. But for me, that that's as easy as it gets. When But to have those conversations, if you figured out who you want to have those conversations with in the first place, it's an easier conversation to have because you've niched down, you've figured out the one thing, you've attracted them with one method, and now you're having one conversation to see, all right, now we're rubbing shoulders with each other and we're looking each other in the eye. Is this going to be a long conversation or a short conversation? Because for me, I like, I'm, I'm personality-driven. If there's a personality clash, the conversation's going to be really short. <laughs> and we're probably not going to do business together, even if it made sense for us to do so. So that is top of my priority. And I've had that luxury of being able to to do that. So if it turns out that this guy is an absolute muppet 
Or they might be thinking, and you can see it in their eyes, this guy's an absolute muppet because Phil's an idiot. I like playing the fool. I like playing the goats. And if you can't have a laugh and a giggle doing the thing that you love doing, then what's the point? So I do like <laughs> to inject humor and personality. And if the other person doesn't get that, then I'm not going to enjoy the time I'm going to spend with them. So that is a big criteria. And then you just, do you want me to help you with it? Yeah, okay, great. Let's have that conversation. What What do you want to do next? You know, And then that's when you can step over into figuring out how you can help them with the, the what you've told them. And they're going to pay you to either do it for them or help them with the how. Does that answer your question, Tom? It does. I know it does. And it helps me get an idea for some of the things that have, at least that's one thing that's, that's helped you be successful. I want you to think, you know, through your entrepreneur lens or even through your, your, you know, when you're, you're working in, uh, in, in business, if you look back on that experience, what have been some other habits and practices that have helped you fuel or have helped fuel your success? I think recognizing the failures has probably been the most important thing because um, it's easy to talk about, oh, yeah, yeah look, look how great and bang my chest and, and look at this glorious thing that I did over here. But none of that happens without the failures and <laughs> figuring out that, okay, this isn't or hasn't been as successful as I thought. And all the times that I've failed have been the times where I've tried, to, as you were saying earlier, to try and go, oh, the shiny object over here, let's go and do that thing. And then you, you get distracted and you see another shiny object and you go and try and do this. So you have all these half-finished projects or half-baked ideas or half-formulated niche avatars that you want to try and start speaking to to have those meaningful conversations with. They're all half-baked, half-cocked, you know, half-assed, if you, if you want yeah. to put it that way. You know, it's always that you've not fully committed. So, again, I'm, I'm giving broad strokes, but whatever the project has been, that's been being able to recognize that I've not fully committed to this. And that, for me, was a, a pivotal moment when I recognized that I'm doing all of these things, half-baked, stop doing them. And it comes back to I got off track. I wasn't doing the one thing. And that's when I started practicing what I preach. It's like, okay, well, I'm doing all these things. None of them are really there. I'm trying to do too much with too little. Let's just focus on one thing and let's just see that. Let's give it three months. Let's do that thing. And then we'll reevaluate if we're seeing success. And that for me is being able to compound the successes because when you have that one success, either a small level or a big level after three months, I mean, attack the day in the same way. Just give yourself one thing to do every day. Just one thing that is really going to, you know, be meaningful in helping you or your business personal growth or business growth take one big step forward. Just do one thing, you know, whether it's small way, big way, you can apply the same philosophy in life and business. And that's all I plan to do because I th I'm thinking about to-do lists as I'm talking about this. So Sorry, I kind of seeing a, a rabbit and I'm chasing it at the moment. You have to forgive me. <laughs> no, no, it's good. <laughs> but the people set themselves up for failure and do, trying to do too much is kind of what we're dancing around. And in a small way, people write themselves to-do lists. Nothing wrong with to-do lists, but it's an endlessly increasing task of tasks. These giant lists of, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do it. Have your master to-do list and take one or two or three things off that to-do list, the master list, and put it on the today list. I'm going to get these three things, number one, number two, number three today. Give yourself a, a time measurement. It's going to take 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever the thing is, 
and just give yourself a sense of accomplishment every single day. And that's kind of like what we were saying with the, the big one thing that's going to drive your business forward or when you're trying something new, give yourself three months to reevaluate. You can do this in a small way every single day and just do one thing that really push. I mean, for me today, the one thing for me is this podcast. This is going to provide fruits of my labor, but it's going to pay out continuously because it's going to be out there in the, in the, in the effort forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's going to help me get my message out. I mean, selfishly, you know, that's why we're here. You know, <laughs> in the same way, that's why you're doing it. You know, so we do it once and we can leverage this in lots of different ways. So this is my one thing for today. That's all I've got. Uh, to be to be fair, Tom, secretly, shh, don't tell anyone. This is all I've got <laughs> planned for the day. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. This is this is a big thing for you today. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I even got out of bed early and had a wash and got dressed. <laughs> <laughs> even got dressed. <laughs> no, but but you, you get what I'm trying to say. It's yeah. just figure out what one thing is, whether it's in a big way or a small way. And just set yourself up for success. I think that's the message I want to get to try and answer that question that you were asking me is how can we get success? Set yourself up for success in the first place because most people have this giant to-do list of things that are never really going to get done, finished or accomplished because it's a giant to-do list. It's suddenly a giant mountain to climb. But if you just figure out today, okay, I'm going to do that one thing, two things or whatever the, the, the top three on that list that's what I'm going to do tomorrow and only those tasks and nothing else matters until they're done. And chances are you can get those done in a couple of hours and that's the day done. You can do more. I'm not saying don't, but you've won the day straight away because you've done everything that you said you were going to do. Mm-hmm. That gives you a sense of accomplishment. So if you set yourself up for a win at every juncture and just reframe the way that you work, then that's going to compound your successes and grow your business and you're really going to start to see a lot of acceleration in everything that you're doing because you're breaking everything down into bite-sized chunks again it's not sexy there's no fancy solution for it it's old advice but it works it genuinely works well i couldn't put a better bow on that one uh, than you but before we move on to the last part of the show is there anything else that you'd like us to know or anything else we should know Granted, you know, we, we don't have, uh, <laughs> I could talk to you, man, for another two hours, but like, you know, if, if there was the I, one I, thing else we should know, what would be that one thing? I could talk at you for another two hours as well, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Live your life through the lens of happiness. Is this going to make me happy? I think that is an ever-increasing priority. Will this make me happy? If you're unhappy doing anything, you're going to spend a long time doing it. It doesn't matter how profitable it is. If you hate doing it, why are you doing it? That for me made me very ill back in 2000, 2001. I was doing things, loving it, but I was hating it. And it literally did put me in a hospital bed with a priest standing over me asking me if I wanted the last rites. I wasn't happy and it made me ill to the point of death, nearly, you know, one step removed. And it's not a pleasant experience. But if you can recognize those times where you, again, just trying to think, because not everyone has that experience as we were talking about earlier, Tom. Yeah. It, it, it's like, how do you recognize it? You know, if you find yourself looking for something, you don't know what it is, but you, you're kind of wistfully looking off into the horizon, metaphorically speaking, and you're looking for something, but you're not sure what it is. You, it's one of those things. You'll know it when you find it. If you find yourself seeking that, you know that you're not happy. You know that there's something missing. So filter everything through, will this make me happy? If it's not going to make you happy, do not do it. Because there is nothing worse than being sad and unhappy. We, have, we live in this wonderfully abundant world where if we want to go and do something, either start a business, a new business, change direction, we can have an idea today and be in business multinationally around the world tomorrow. Literally. 
we have an abundance of opportunity. The biggest problem now is figuring out where you want to start. You might as well choose something that you love doing and will it make you happy? I like that. I do something similar. I think about when I'm trying to decide what to do and, and, and when and all that stuff. I think about if I was writing my eulogy or if I was writing kind of my, my deathbed letter. Hey, I did that. <laughs> you know, when I look back, yeah, you did. You actually know, had that. But I know what you mean. But it, it really gives you some focus and clarity. Uh, again, these are all those cliche phrases and, and things that you should do, but you should do them. You should just put yourself in that situation and like, is this going to make me happy? Will speaking to Bob make me happy? No, I think he's an arsehole. <laughs> right, I'm not going to take that call. It, as crass as that may sound, I don't want to speak with people or I don't want to do certain things, but it, you've got to put your happiness first. Truly, truly, mate. And we've got the opportunity to do whatever we want, wherever we want, whenever we want around the world. Mm-hmm. Well, look, it's, uh, it's time for my favorite part of the show. This is where we talk about one of the best habits we can adopt today, and that's the habit of reading Phil, I want you to think about books you've really enjoyed over the years. Maybe these are book recommendations you give at Christmas parties or family get-togethers or, or whatever, but books that have that have impacted you deeply. What are the two or three books that stand out for you? Hmm. I do a lot of pleasure reading as opposed to business book type reading. I get a lot of inspiration from science fiction, science fantasy in a weird way because these are people who are literally making it up and envisioning a future that doesn't yet exist. And I think that for me gives me inspiration. We think back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, Star Trek, the things that that people saw in Star Trek, for me as reruns, but the original Star Trek, tricorders, things like that, they're coming into technological fruition. Mm -hmm. That was a vision that could, that was fantasy 50, 60 years ago. So I like to read sci-fi. To answer your question, though, business books. At the moment, rather conveniently, I'm reading a book called Niche Down by <laughs> Christopher Lockett, <laughs> which goes into a lot more detail, you might, which might have clouded and maybe possibly influenced the way he <laughs> spoke some of all things. So that's one book, very good. goes into a lot of detail, a lot of science and study and research to back up the things that we were talking about if you're more statistically minded. But the book that I always read um, multiple times every year, it's not necessarily anything to do with business, although there's lots of business advice in it. And it's actually called Reminiscence of a Stock Operator. And it's about the life and times of a stock market trader from the turn of the 1900s. It was written in 1933. And yes, it's about the stock market, but it's it's in story format. It was originally a serialized article piece in, I think, the New York Times. But it, it, it's just a very easy, light read. And it's just a story about the rise, fall, and subsequent rise again of the stock market trader. And there's lots of things on psychology, mindsets, Obviously, the stock market, which is you know my primary business and passion, um, but it's just a jolly good read, and it's just how the, the the star of the book, if you like, just overcame adversities and challenges and problems, and the lessons, if you can read between the lines, they are there, and they're not new problems that you know that we have today. That they're as old as the hills, and the same problems that are around there that he overcame his challenges are explained in this book. And it's 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 just a good read as well. So that that for me is a book that I recommend to everyone. Okay. Because it's got so many good messages in there. Uh, business uh, books niche down and reminiscence of a stock operator was the other one. Love that. I, I haven't read either of those, but I, I'm, I put them on my book list. What, what's your favorite? Uh, what, what's your favorite sci-fi book? Sci-fi book. I'm at the moment. I. I I like, I'm trying to think of the author, uh, Raymond Feist was one of the, 
Uh, and the original kind of the book that started all was Magician. Mm. Uh, it was written about 22, 23 years ago. Uh, I like a lot of Terry Pratchett. As you probably gather, humor. I don't know if you've uh, heard of Terry <laughs> Pratchett and Discworld series. I like the humor and the uh, just a different spin on everyday life. Okay. Uh, again, if you can read between the lines, the, there's lots of parodies to the real world and movie references if you can get them. Yes. So, yeah, Raymond Feist for a, a bit more gritty uh, read and comedy is going to be Terry Pratchett Discworld series. Okay, I got one for you. You've probably already read it, but uh, but I'll, I'll I'll throw it out there. Have you ever read uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline? I've got it on the Kindle. It's 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 on my kind dude, of next dude, thing you to gotta, read. Dude, you got to read it. It it I mean, as somebody who kind of came of age during the 80s, maybe I'm overly nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you should – how about a throwback then? It's kind of the genesis of most of these was a movie uh, and originally a book called The Lawnmower Man from the mid to late 80s. And again, it was a book before it was called The Lawnmower Man. And it was talking about virtual reality back then in the 80s as, you know, we can – transfer our consciousness into mm-hmm. the computer world it was quite interesting it was way out there back then nice i'm gonna check that one out too i think i've just dated myself a little bit <laughs> <laughs> that's all right i did too <laughs> last question what are you working on now that you're or what do you have coming up that you're really excited about uh, unhustled is going to be the project it's um at the start of this year i decided to kind of fully commit to this primary motivations are you know my own life experience you know i was able to care for my parents for the last five years of their lives because i'd unhustled myself you know that that's the term that that came about but because i've got the time freedom the financial freedom the luxury being able to do what i want with whom i want whenever i want i could go and spend time with my parents you know in their twilight years um and you know i'd spend two or three hours with them every day you know originally it was doing that dutiful sun thing but it eventually it turned into the they became two of my best friends and the only reason why I was able to do that and look back looking back on it have zero regrets that I wish I'd done more because I have not had that experience because I did everything possible they became my best friends I was able to care for them every day and it's all because I was able to free up my time and not worry about where the next client was coming from where you know where the bills are going to get paid I could literally go and spend that time with the people that meant the most to me at that moment. And that's what, for me, Unhustled is. It's to help other people be able to have that luxury for themselves, to not stress about where the next client has come from, to have the free time to spend with their loved ones doing whatever they want to do when they want to do it. So that, for me, is the big passion right now. Look, man, I couldn't – I don't think I could end uh, the interview on a better note. That that was really uh... – that was pretty cool. Unexpected. Man. Yeah, no, no. It was. Uh, uh, look, uh, I'm taking away a, a ton of uh, of goodness and a lot of real practical, concrete things that I can implement in my own business, and I know the rest of us are as well. So, Phil, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. It really has been a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation. This is just a reminder that today's episode was sponsored by Tom Hefner Enterprises Innovation Training. If you're interested in learning the tools of innovation that will help you to work more efficiently and effectively and become unhustled, then check out my innovation training program. Just head over to tomhefner.com work to connect and learn more. You can connect with Phil online through his website, unhustled.com and on Facebook at facebook.com unhustled. All the links and resources Phil and I discussed can be found at the page created just for this episode. 
You'll find it all at nextyearnowpodcast.com slash six, seven. And finally, just a reminder, if you like the show and enjoy learning from our guests each week, please consider giving us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps us stay relevant and findable by listeners like you. That's it for today. I'll see you next time.